Well, how does it feel to be wealthy now? After, after grinding after this for so long. It's better than before. It is, it is definitely nice. <laughs> I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. Doug, I want to give you an intro because I've been a fan of yours forever. And I, in 2019 or 2020, when our podcast was much smaller, I told Sean about you. I go... This guy, Doug, is very fascinating. I think he should launch like some type of like car website. I'm not sure. Then you did. And then we <laughs> talked about it. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is going to be huge. <laughs> and so I want to take a little bit. I want to take like 1%. You know, I helped you succeed. I get a little bit of credit because I, I picked you. You're my, you my horse and I bet you know, on. You know, there's something real. I'm sure we'll discuss this, but there's something real about that. Like I tell all my friends now in this space, like you need to start businesses. Like this will not last forever. You need to start businesses. And I think smart people who learn the business world kind of realize that. And you are my you are my guy. And so for the audience who, who don't know, um, so Doug Demoro has a. Uh, it started as a. You're just a YouTuber, I guess. I mean, you're originally a journalist for a bunch of different websites where you would write these funny, quirky blogs. Then you parlayed that into a YouTube channel that I think now has like four million subscribers. But the reason why you're huge and lovable is for a few different reasons. One, you dress really funny. So like. <laughs> You'll wear like khaki shorts, like from the early 2000s with like a red polo shirt. And then your white undershirt will be longer than the sleeves of your polo shirt. So it's like hanging out from the sleeves and like you just dress like horribly, <laughs> even though your videos each get like two or three million views. Like you're on uh, Jay Leno's um, pod uh, or you're on Jay Leno's YouTube like a few days ago and you're wearing Saucony like running shoes. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> Well, Jay, um, Jay is not like Jay's dressing up, you know, so I, I feel like I, I, there's not a high bar there. <laughs> anyway, you're, you're just like, you're very likable because of the way you dress. You're very funny. You're very um, quirky because that's one of your things is you talk about the quirks of it cars. You're very quirky. You're very relatable. And so you've grown this YouTube channel to like 4 million subscribers. You launched this company called Cars and Bids, which is like almost like eBay, but for different types of cars, cars enthusiasts, so cars from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. And then recently, you sold the majority of the business to Churning Group for around $40 million, I believe, when it was only like two or three years old. Um, yeah. And I've, I've bought cars from the website. So anyway, I'm a big fan. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. I, uh, I just listened it, to, so I just bought a car a couple months ago, three or three, four months ago. And uh it was your YouTube video that put me over the edge. So I bought a Cadillac, I bought an Escalade, and uh, I was looking for a review. Your review has 1.7 million views. I was like, okay, this got to be the best one. Uh, like Sam said, uh, I was surprised because uh, I'm I'm not a car guy at all, uh, and also I had never seen your stuff. I had only heard Sam talk about you on the podcast, so I actually didn't put two and two together that oh, that's the same guy that Sam has been talking about. Until right, I right. watched the video and I was like, I don't know why I trust this guy. Uh, what's the uh, what's the key to uh, to being the sort of likable, trustworthy guy? Is that just who you are? Did you did you play anything up in your YouTube videos? Is there is there any str strategy here, or mm. is it all just uh, that's just who you were? No, that's a good question, and and it, the answer is there is remarkably little strategy. Um, I just. In fact, if you go and watch the videos from before I had a lot of subscribers, they're pretty much the same. So it's not like, you know, it's not like I knew what the hell I was doing when I had 200,000 subscribers. It's not like I knew where this was going to go. Um, but I really think, I think one of the reasons, though, that I kind of did it this way is that uh, a lot of people come to me and they're like, I'm going to make the best car videos with 4K drones and high quality sound and music and all this stuff. And 
I just wanted to like kind of show people like you actually can do this as long as the content is good. You can just do this. Like you can just do it in your garage. You're just you using know? an iPhone, right? Basically, the shots where I'm like in them, there's a it's a cam, it's a Sony 4K camcorder, which isn't cheap, but it's also not like a crazy camera. And then an iPhone is yeah, half the video is done on an iPhone. And like you're editing, if I remember correctly, up until recently, like until the start of Cars and Bids, you were editing them and like they're not like good editing but in a way that makes it awesome like you know what i mean like it's a very it's it's really funny it's 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 quirky I mean, it was I just like simple it. my goal was just always to like overload people with info and like cool stuff about the cars and they could decide if they decided that hey this this quality is not good enough then they could go find somebody else but like i always felt that i had the most info like the most like it like that when you bought that escalate like seeing how all that stuff works how it's how it's going to fit together sitting inside it so many other people focus so much on like driving experience they they do 45 per 40 like like 20 minute video and 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 18 of the minutes are oh and here's how it goes through the corners and i was just like you know like let's show people the little ins and outs of the car they are actually going to buy and i think that that's like prove to be quite useful. And you also have this thing at the end. I don't know if you saw this, Sean, but like I watch every, every single one of his videos and he has this thing at the end called the Doug score. And if and Doug, you kind of like, by the way, it seems like I'm like insulting you constantly, <laughs> but in reality, I'm in like love with you. But no, like, I mean, I'm it's like, just, it's just, I don't, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, the, it, the quality was never the goal. The goal was always like the quality of content, you know? Well, what and I'm I saying agree is with you. you have this thing called the Doug score, which like I base my buying decisions off of. Like I've bought a bunch of cars, uh, probably three or four cars off your, like you've driven, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of value, like right. to whoever who I bought my car from. And you have this thing called the Doug score at the end of every video. And I went and Googled and tried to find it and you could barely find it. It's like on a Google sheet. And you have to click file, make a copy so I could sort it because I'm trying to sort it. I'm like, hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before that required tons of human agents. But now with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. You know what I mean? I'm like, I want, because you have two categories. You have the weekend category, which is, right. uh, you know, like a dad who wants to have fun. It's like McLarens and shit like that. And then you have um, a family or a daily category, which is just like what's good for daily, whatever. And some days I'm like, you know, maybe I'm in the mood to buy like a, a, a fast car. Like, let's go. Let's sort by speed in the category. of right. um, Weekend. Yeah. And but I got to like go to Excel and I've got to like do like a like a like a like a row freeze. And I, it's so complicated. <laughs> Why don't you make this more like robust? It's a really th this database could be a business in itself. I know. I agree. I should do more with it. To be fair, the Doug score came out in like mid 17. And for the first two years, it wasn't really all that valuable because it didn't really have that many cars in it. And so like late 19, it starts to become pretty valuable. And now there's got to be like a thousand data points in there. But what happened was I launched cars and bids. I just priorities had to kind of take shape. And yeah, I probably should do more with that because I think it's valuable also. And I think the really valuable thing would be able to be to sort by like type of car. Like if you want a fast wagon, put up all the fast wagons and then you can just have that. But that's something that, that you could do at home. <laughs> I've decided I've decided I'm going to just do the videos and spec. I'm a big fan of specialization. 
And so I decided I'm going to do the videos and we're going to let other people. And sometimes people email me. They're like, I just did this great data project with all the Doug score data. And here it is. And I look at it and it's really cool. And it's like, I should be doing that. But I'm not. At what point did you? Uh, so the the show, I mean, your channel, has it been growing very steadily? And was it making enough income to live off of throughout uh, its existence? Yeah. So I launched the channel late 13. Um, but the really big kind of turning point for the channel was in late 16, I flipped to two videos a week. Um, and I don't know that necessarily that is the turning point anymore for a YouTube channel, but in 16, it had a big effect. And um, and almost right away after doing that, yes, it became enough money to live on. That I, I did that, I made that switch in August of 16. And in December of 16, I made 20 grand. And I was like, oh my God, like this is a thing. I didn't know, what I didn't know was Christmas, the ad revenue is way higher at Christmas time. And so in January, I made like eight grand. And I was like, oh, well, I guess maybe this isn't a thing. Like, I don't know what's going on. But that was one of the things I learned throughout. And so, yeah, like pretty quickly, it it, it kind of grew at that point to become something I could live off. And so you, when you were made that switch, you're like, all right, I'm going to start doing two videos a week. Is it because you had heard, oh, the algorithm likes that? Or you just happened to do it and saw a bump? What was the, what was the reason? Because I always wonder with people who get started with content, um, like in retrospect and hindsight, it always makes sense. It's like, oh, of course people are going to yeah. want to see a car before they kind of buy it or just like sit from the comfort of their home, like get to see a review of a car. That makes sense. Uh, YouTube's the biggest video platform. So whoever does it on YouTube is going to benefit. There's going to be lots of search volume. So they'll probably get views just by a by the search of the name of the car. And um, right. yeah, that video is probably going to charge a premium or, or be worth a premium or maybe make money on affiliate or something. I don't know exactly what it is, but I, I can see how it'll make money. It all makes sense in hindsight. At the time in 2013, when you start doing this, did you think there's a business here? And how did you get those initial views? How did you get the initial momentum? Was it because of your following as a writer or was it separate? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And I actually got really lucky. You know, I I, I never, ever tell people to like work for... um like promotional value. Like a lot of times businesses will be like, oh, instead of paying you in money, I'll pay you in, you know, like exposure. And I think that's BS, but it actually worked for me. I, I wrote for Jalopnik, which at the time was a Gawker blog and was an incredibly popular one. It was the most popular car blog on the internet by far. And um, I started inserting my videos into those articles and that drove, the articles drove people to the videos, which then started to put me in the algorithm, which then started to get me subscribers. And it, Jalopnik was paying me, I swear to God, $25 an article, which mm. was not real money, but like the value was in the number of people coming over to my YouTube. I didn't know that at the time, but in the years, in the later years, as, as 2013 became 2015, it became clear to me, like, I think I'm actually a YouTuber and not a writer <laughs> anymore. Like, I think this is a reality now. And so when I decided to move to, to two a week, what happened was I left Jalopnik to start a blog with AutoTrader, with Cox Automotive and AutoTrader. And in order to promote that blog, I decided I would be shooting more videos. And within eight weeks, I was, I, the video content was suddenly earning, getting way more views and way more revenue than the, than the writing content. And thankfully, the video channel was your own, right? The video channel was your own, even though these were guest blogs yeah. on other people's platforms. Yeah, the agreement with AutoTrader was that I would, uh, you know, promote on my YouTube channel these, this blog that we had started. And so I didn't realize that you've been doing this since 2013. I thought that I was like an OG by like watching since like 17. Um, like, so, you, I mean, you've been grinding at this for Yeah, but you pretty much now. are because initially I, I made videos with my, my own cars 
And those just never got as much traction. And what the big switch in 17 was, I switched to doing reviews of cars. And suddenly it was a lot less work because I didn't have to buy cars and then take on that personal financial risk. I would just like show up at a dude's house, film his car and then peace out. And that was a video. And there was like no, that didn't cost me anything except like the gas to get there. And so that was that was a big change. It also allowed me to do more videos because you can just do more videos that way as opposed to your own cars. You have to kind of think up a new topic every week, which isn't always easy. And so in 17, I think that's when things really started to like really take off when I started to do like car reviews and especially new car reviews. That's what I realized like, okay, that's where the money is and that's where the audience is. But you make jokes sometimes where you're like, um, like for example, I watched your, def- I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about buying a Defender, a new one. And I like watched your video on it and you like make little jokes. You're like, one day when I'm able to afford blank, I'll get it. And I'm like, seeing your videos, I'm like, man, I think you could, I bet you're making like, you know, at least low digit millions per year without cars and bids. I have to imagine this was significantly more lucrative than you like the vibe that you would joke about sort on, of, on, but, on the videos. But the thing that's, I think, important for people to understand, there's, there's, there's two components. Number one is you never know when it's going to end. And so like, I, yeah, I was making a lot of money, but you never know when the, suddenly a comp- competitor shows up and it can happen in a couple of months. And suddenly you're now third, fourth, fifth in search and things are slowing down. And so you never really know like what that day is. And so unlike maybe an attorney or a doctor where you have this job, you make a lot of money less than I was, but you have a lot more job security over long term. For me, it was like, yeah, I have a lot of money, but I saved so much of it because I was always just terrified that, you know, I never knew exactly what was going to what was going to happen. What amount of money did you feel like you kind of like you made it or you looked at the number and you were like, I can't believe this is mine. I have this. Uh, where where was the milestone for you that it was kind of like your holy shit moment? Uh, not until we closed the deal with uh, with Turnin, believe it or not. <laughs> I, 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 I just never... I, earning on, a, on an annual or a monthly or a weekly basis like is just never, to me, like that's just, there's always a, some, some fear in that, you know? Like you're always just a little worried that the tap is going to turn off. And so there was never a moment where I felt comfortable like spending or splurging on something, which Sam goes back to your point, like, yeah, there were times when I said, if I could afford this, I would buy it. But like, I probably could have afforded it. But could I have afforded it? And then my business and then YouTube slows down and then I have to deal with the depreciation of it. Like a new Lambo would be cool, right? But if that loses 200 grand in the first two years, I couldn't mentally justify that. Same with a new AMG wagon. I've always wanted one, but they were $150,000 when they were new. Well, was I comfortable losing 50 grand in a year? Mentally, no, because I was always afraid the tap might turn off, you know, the YouTube channel. Did you, and when originally, when you launched Cars and Bids, I was a big fan of Bring a Trailer. Um, Bring a Trailer is similar to you, uh, different different audience. But I think I heard rumors that when they sold, it was like $300 million. And when you go to bringatrailer.com, it looks just like a blog. Like it's a very like, it, yeah. it doesn't look like a sophisticated business. And when in reality, it, it is. And when you launched, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. But of course, well, it's a lot of like, critics were like, well, but this, this thing already exists. And so like, what insight did you have to go down this path? And also who did you partner with early on? Cause I don't think that you're a tech person, right? No, no, not at all. As you can see from my video editing and, and you heavy usage of iMovie. Um, no, uh, yeah, bring a trailer is, it does exist and they're huge and they were huge then. And they're even huger now. Um, and that was the hurdle. 
what insight did we have? None. What were we thinking? In <laughs> retrospect, I honestly wonder like what, what was going through our minds thinking we could compete with them. The only insight we had was that we had heard, I love Bring a Trailer and I think they run a great business and they have some great cars and I have sold cars on there, whatever. But I, we had heard from that there was some dissatisfaction. I think at the end of the day, Bring a Trailer had gotten so massive that like, Stuff was taking a long time to get listed. There were, like you said, the quality of the, the it's a WordPress blog. Ultimately, it had, ca- it had caused people some issues, you know, in, in sellers and buyers and, and the functionality of it, and everything. And, and we kind of thought to ourselves, hey, we can do this in our minds better and we can make it modern. And so one of the big things that was our focus was doing cars just from the 1980s and up, like more modern era cars. We, we thought, hey, if we come with a modern website and focus on a modern audience, maybe we can kind of exist in a sort of a different space than bring a trailer where it's like more millennial, younger people focused on these types of cars. And I think that that has largely teased out, although now we're starting to kind of eat some of the bring a trailer cars. We just posted a Lamborghini Countach on the site today. Like we're going down that road a little bit more. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And who who did you partner with early on? I mean, when I was doing research for the original pod, I remember I went to the person's LinkedIn. I was like, I got to figure out who he's working with. Like, so yeah, what was that relationship? And, you know, how did it come about? You know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I get, I've had, I, my email address is in all my videos. It's like a Yahoo. It's just it's Doug it, Demoral it, yeah, at I Yahoo, mean, right? <laughs> and to be clear, like my personal email address is not on Yahoo, but that's the email address for all the people who are going to send me emails. Because as you can imagine, I get, when you post your email address that publicly, you get some weird <laughs> stuff going on, you know? Yeah, people think they know you. What's it called? Uh, people, you know, we get that, Sean and I get that all the time. What's it called? A parasocial yeah. relationship? Right, that's exactly. People will email me and be like, hey man, I'm making 84 grand a year. I got two kids. One of them's in private school. I'm thinking about leaving my wife. What car do you think I should get? And I'm like, what? <laughs> but so I got it. I, so I get random emails. And so a, a viewer emailed me named Blake. And he said, Hey, I know, I know we live close by in San Diego. I have this car. You ever, you know, if you ever want to get dinner. And this was before I had a, a kid. And I, I would, I would meet up with random. Re- I did this many, many times, probably a hundred times. I met up with just random people on the internet. Just it was how I made friends when we would move to new cities. And so I met up with him and I learned that he did something in tech, which is how non tech people view all tech people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, and so, um, it hit me that I kind of wanted to do this only a couple of months after our meeting. And I called him and I was like, hey, I know you do something in tech. Can we do this? And what do you think of this? And he had actually just sold a car and bring a trailer and kind of recognized some of the deficiencies. And he said, yeah, this is a great idea. And so we used some seed money from his company to kind of just get get off the ground and get started. And then we launched and, and right away, we were quickly earning revenue and quickly what, profitable. Was any of the, what was the split? So I always wondered this about creator kind of businesses where it's like, are you just promotion or do you have to do anything with operations? Uh, are you, do you have to put in money? What's the equity split? How did you guys decide kind of roles and then the the ownership split? It was tough to decide. 
Um, and there was a lot of back and forth and it kind of almost killed the thing. But I ended up with with sort of a substantial majority because I was, even though they had put down the money, I was coming with the audience. And one of the interesting things I think about these businesses, you'd mentioned bring a trailer and how could you compete with it? You would be shocked at how many other auction sites have shown up and failed since we launched. Um, most of them never even make it on anybody's radar. Of course, we watch them like a hawk because it's like our business. But you'd be stunned at how many of these have shown up. And we learned that like you can make a great product and that's important. And we did that. But like having an audience, showing up with an audience is so crucial for the success of this. And that's what caused all the other ones to fail. And so um, that as a result of that, I think they understood that the, a large portion of the value, at least initially, was me. And so even though there was sort of a, a tangling in it, um, I ended up with with the majority. And yes, I ended up doing an enormous amount of operations work. Like I was personally, the first few weeks, I was approving or denying all the cars that got submitted. We, we didn't know it would blow up so much right away is what happened. You get a th- I think you got a thousand in one day, right? It was like the craziest day of my life. We got a thousand. And, what, what, and you give offered, like a, you give like a three sentence description of each car. I, yeah, that was another thing. What the <laughs> hell was I thinking? Marrying myself to that idea. But um, what happened was when we first launched, we had this, we had this idea that in order to attract sellers, we would offer $1,000 for the first 50 cars on the site and $500 for the next 50 cars on the site. It was a brilliant idea. It was it was spending whatever that works out to be, 75 grand or whatever, but it was the greatest 75 grand we ever spent because we got so many submissions right away. However, um, then we had to deal with them. And boy, was that, that was a day. <laughs> and it was all me doing it, basically. It's a nightmare. And what's the, what's the business model? The business model is you uh, probably, if I... I don't remember exactly, but is it that buyers, buyers of cars have to give you like three or four or five percent of the total purchase price? That's right. Sellers pay nothing. Buyers pay four and a half percent. And now we've got a few other kind of drivers of revenue as well. There's a shipping component. We just launched inspections, which is really cool. Sellers can get their cars inspected, um, which we have already seen increases the number of bids and the the sale price and everything. So that's, I think, going to be a big um, benefit going forward. Um, but mainly it's that, yes, that the, we get this buyer's fee. And then, of course, we've now rolled up the businesses into one business, the, the YouTube channel and the uh, auction site. And so obviously my content revenue is a is a part of the business, too. And, and you did, I, I believe, in 2021, you did like something like 75 million in gross sales. Yeah, that so feels right. I should have looked at the numbers. What, before, but yeah, what was like the first right. month? So you get this immediate surge of of listings, but you know, getting a marketplace off the ground could be hard. But I, I suspect with your audience, that it kind of just took off probably fairly quickly. What? What? Do you remember anything about that first month? What, what were the numbers? Oh yeah, the I'll first, never the forget. The first it. car was your car, right? The, the first car wagon. was my car. That's right. The first car was my car, and I've since sold four or five. Um, although I haven't bought yet, I got to do that. Um, the first month was chaos. I mean, it's like <laughs> you hear from any startup founder um, who's successful. Right. Which is that, <laughs> that, that it was absolute chaos. We had, we had the good problem of not having planned for what would come, uh, the success that came, but the bad problem of then having to do it on the fly. And we were hiring people like talking to them on a, we didn't even have an office. It was COVID. We launched in June of 20. There were no offices. We did this. We launched the whole business from my back patio. And so we're like talking to people in the pool. I mean, this was the whole situation was a complete disaster. Um, and that month was definitely the most chaotic and most ridiculous of my entire life. The first two months, really. And we started to build more of an infrastructure and more of a team. And that kind of started to make things easier. But I was still like in the ground, on the, tr- in the, on the, ground, in the trenches, doing everything 
um, until the churn and investment came and we got a little more cash and we could finally start like putting people in their roles and I could go back to my biggest asset to the business, which is of course, you know, doing the talk cut. a little bit about the sale. How'd that come about? How that's a high stakes negotiation, probably the biggest hand of poker you've ever played. Uh, tell us some fun stories about the, uh, the process and then the sale, the ultimate sale, what, what went down? You know, I was really lucky that I had Blake who, who has been in the kind of the business world, the startup world before and sort of held my hand through the process. Cause I was just a clueless I mean, at the end of the day, I make YouTube videos for a living. Like, I shouldn't be involved in any sort of high eight-figure private equity deal. Like, that's not where I live, you know? (laughs) I need people. So they came to us and... And and um, by the way, we hear your fidget spinner or whatever you got there on the mic. (laughs) There you uh, go. Your G-Wagon. This is a a Toyota (laughs) Mega Cruiser. We, um, they came to us and... You know, we had gotten, as you can imagine, we had a lot of people reach out to us um, because we had kind of grown and it became clear quickly. And then the car market started to blow up and all these PEVC type firms were like, we got to get in on this. We got to get on this today. And here's this business that's actually succeeding doing it. And Bring a Trailer had just sold to Hearst. And so all these other companies were like, are we missing something? We got to go. And then, you know, what's what's out there? We could start it ourselves or this exists. So we were getting a lot of reach outs. But we viewed it as like kind of BS. We were like, we're too small to make this make sense to anybody. Um, and so we kind of ignored them all. But the churning group was really persistent. And finally, they kind of got intro to us through a friend. And I thought to myself, well, I can't say no to this call if it came through a friend. I'll just take it. It'll be 10 minutes and I'll hang up. And I took it in the car. And um, But they told me the most interesting thing. I wasn't familiar with the churning group, but they told me that they specifically work with creator-led businesses. And that was a huge like light bulb moment for me because my big fear of working with any PE or VC company is they're going to come in and they're going to say, we got to change this, this, and this on your YouTube channel. And it's going to look like this now. And this is how it's going to work. And even if it was a big payday for me, I feel like I didn't want to have to explain to someone how YouTube works. You know, like I just wanted, I felt like I could do it better myself, but these guys knew already how it worked. And they were going to be like, your, your audience, it's already working. This isn't how we don't want to screw with anything. And that was a big moment hearing that they like specialize in this. And so going forward, that it, that just sort of began the conversation. And one thing led to another. They kind of went through, here's how we might do it. You know, we kind of gave them some va- basics. They gave us a term sheet and it, it, it came to fruition. Were you able to take money off the table or did it go to the... Uh- Go to the business. Yeah, no, I took I took money off. I bought that career GT, and and uh, so it was a nice it was a nice Perfect. situation for me to be able to do that, especially after a lot a lot of hard work. And actually, in the end, I feel like this is the best time because I got enough money that I can kind of chill a little bit. And I swear, there's something nice about that in terms of running and operating a business like this. You make way more money when you have that. Like when you could chill a little bit, you know, like the less you want it, the more you get it. I feel like that's true. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm more relaxed. I, I focusing on like myself a little bit more. And then I'm in a better mental state to like make better decisions and do more things. And in the end, it's actually been beneficial, even though you would think it would be the opposite. If you're chasing money, you'd, you'd work harder. And maybe I did work harder, but I think I'm working better now. Have you heard the phrase, uh, treat them mean, keep them keen. So like, I remember (laughs) when I was, when I was like 16, I was like, I was telling someone, I was like, I want to meet, I, I was telling my uh, a friend, a girlfriend, uh, who was like this really pretty girl. I was like, man, I want to meet more girls. And she goes, 
you got to treat them mean to keep them keen. You know, the less you want it, the more you're going to get it. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, so I tried way less hard and I got way more girls. The same is true with money. I treat them. I treat it mean and I keep it keen. You know, the the money comes to me the more that I don't want it. That sounds like something an aunt would say. (laughs) No 14 year old is is hitting you with that quote when you say, I want to meet more girls. Uh, yeah, she was right. like a like a someone like, like a neighbor, and, you know. She was <laughs> in like Patty. college at the time, and uh, yeah. And I was like, "Man, I'm trying to trying to meet these girls. I'm, I'm I read the book, The Game. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm trying to I'm trying hard." And she was like, "You got to treat them me to keep them keen." She's like, "You just got to care less. You don't and do we're, nothing." We're still using that phrase all these years later. It's still relevant. And so, how, right. how does this work though? Like, if I'm uh, this may be a question for for Mike and those guys at Turnin, but like, you buy a creator led business. Creator wants to go chill on the beach now. You gave them give them millions and millions of dollars, but you need their face still. It's tied to their face. Is there like a long transition plan where you you it's like blippy where they just changed out the guy? A different guy came in and started wearing the stuff on YouTube, and everyone in the comments is like, "Hey, uh, that's not blippy." Um, what's the plan? You know, here? <laughs> you know, I've been on. I've done a, a few podcasts and interviews and all sorts of things with after this deal is closed, and you're. I think about your question constantly. And you're the first person on one of these who's actually asked it to me. Because, yeah, I think they're nuts. I, I truly think they're crazy. Like, if you really think about it. Best answer. If you really think about it. Like, like the whole, it's a great idea when it works. And for them, it's worked wonderfully. And I suspect that relates to the diligence they do on the creator. Like, they, they know that I'm not going to do that, right? Because they know me. They got to know me through this process. It took like six, eight months. And we really got to know each other. And they realized I wasn't about to just bail and go sit on the beach or do something insane, like start saying crazy stuff on Twitter and get canceled, whatever. They knew that. But like, I could. (laughs) Like, I still, if I were them, I'd be terrified. Like, they're making massive investments into businesses that have dudes like me who could just go off the rails one day. And I think that is a crazy business model. But they would retort by saying, A, we do the diligence, but also like, this is how businesses are going to be. Like, Creators have these audiences. This is where people want to get their stuff, whatever it is. Kitchen products, cars, doesn't matter. They want to get it from people who they love and who they care about. Mr. Beast Burger, all that stuff. And so if you're going to do it, you got to take that risk. And But the benefit is you don't have to spend a lot in like paid marketing because the audience is there and they want to be there. And so there's like a huge benefit to that, but also a very scary potential (laughs) drug. We've had we've had Mr. Beast on the pod. Uh, we recently did an episode with uh, Danny Austin, who, who created a, a hair 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 care brand, basically a, a scalp brand. Um, also doing really really well. What creator brands are awesome to you that you think have done a good job? Is there any that stand out or you took inspiration from? That's a good question. You know, when we when we launched this, when we came up with the idea and launched this in the summer of nineteen, it wasn't as common. Like having a creator kind of pivot into a brand was like less of a thing. A lot of guys were doing, a lot of guys, I say guys because it was car people, but just generally people were doing merch. That was a big thing. And some of them even had lines of products, whatever. But they, the pivoting of doing this has become more of a thing since then. And so I wouldn't say any of them were necessarily an inspiration. It was more that I was just terrified that I had this giant audience. And if I didn't do something with them, they were going to start to go away eventually. And I had to do something. And so that it was more based out of fear and anxiety than like than like being inspired by someone, which is great. 
Um, but obviously, since then, a lot of others have come. And, and I give this advice to everybody I know, everybody in this space, all of my car creator friends. I tell them, like, start a business, start a business, start a business. You never know when your audience is going to go away. Please, like, take your audience right now and start a business. Do something. And they, they look at me like I'm nuts some of the time because they're like, what do you mean? I'm already traveling five days a week filming and doing all this stuff and editing late at night, doing, I, you know, writing scripts. How can I start a business on top of that? And my answer is like, I don't know, but you got to you got to figure it out because that's the that's the next way to take what you're doing. Have you seen a, I want to ask you about two ideas. Have you seen have you guys seen um, what's it called? Uh, exotic car hacks, I think it's called. No. Dude, it's just the, the guy. I I think that he's like playing a douche on TV. I think he's like trying to be an asshole. Like his so his whole sh- he's definitely this guy's like a, a total jerk. But he uh he's got this course. I think it's a course. I don't know if it's a community or it's a course. But you pay uh, a little bit of money, and he teaches you how to hack exotic cars, which I have not taken it. I think what it means is like you buy a car that's like four or five years old, usually around the twenty thousand dollar. Uh, or 20,000 mile range and then you drive it for one year and you could sell it and you have hopefully only you know you you've mostly broke even i think he also has a thing where you can like become a licensed dealer which i don't understand how that works but i heard a rumor that he sold the course to pe is that true or totally made up i don't know i i haven't heard that have you seen that sean yeah are you <laughs> looking, looking at this at guy now, now? but his, his youtube banner is like uh tim as a grand theft auto <laughs> character so that's that's solid to start. And then I think you're right. It's basically like how it says, learn how to buy, sell and trade exotic cars for fun and profit, uh, which is honestly, it's a good, good niche. Um, in fact, my only yeah. criticism of this guy is uh, he doesn't look douchey enough. Like once you go into the video, he's just like a guy wearing like a V-neck. He doesn't look like, yeah, he's just kind of you know, like, no, dude, he's like, he uh, I watched the video of his and he was like, and, like 10 times more jewelry than he's wearing. Like this guy, like he needs to piss me off, but also make me want him. Right. Like that's the trick. Well, he was driving a Land Rover Defender and he goes, see, the problem with the Land Rover Defender is my watch is worth five times this Defender. So maybe I I need the audio. He's a verbal dude. (laughs) He goes, even though it looks cool, I can't decide if I'm poor because five of these still wouldn't equal the price of my watch. Well, I think more people should do this. I, so, so Doug, our, uh, one of the companies I built, we got bought by Twitch. When I was at Twitch, you know, you spend a bunch of time on Twitch and you see what people are doing. And it was like, everybody's kind of doing a very similar thing. It's like, um, you know, there's like two classes of people. There's like, you know, really good at the game or three classes. say really good at the game. People watch them because they're so awesome at the game. And they guys, they have no personality. Right. People just like them because their aim is good. And then you have people that are super cute, right? Hot girls, they do well too. And then you have uh, like the third group, which is like super likable, like kind of the group you're in, I would would say, where it's like, they're not not like the most technically good at the game, but they're likable, they're fun. They play, they're called a variety streamer. They they stream a a bunch of different games. They keep it interesting, good good fan interaction. And there was one guy that just took it in a whole different direction. This guy, Dr. Disrespect. Have you seen him? Yeah, I've heard of him. So he created a whole character. He comes on and he he himself was like a college basketball player. So he's like six eight. So he's like this huge guy, but he wears this like mullet wig. He wears like a bulletproof vest, like a red bulletproof vest. He looks like a character from the eighties. And he created his name. He, he created his thing, Doctor Disrespect. 
And then he has his, like his catchphrases. He was basically a wrestling character. So he basically was like the rock where he would, um, he had this persona and he had these catchphrases and then everybody in his life became a character. His wife became a character. Like if she would come on the screen, like you would never see her only her hand and she would feed him while he was playing, like feeding him grapes basically. And he would do everything ridiculous. And then to add to that, he would like go sit courtside at an NBA game, but dressed fully as Dr. Disrespect. And that investment of like that $5,000 courtside seat was actually like really valuable to building this persona, this brand of like, and he always called himself the, the 1994, 1995, two-time blockbuster, NBA jam, uh, whatever, like champion. Like he's got these like phrases <laughs> that he would always go to. Just purposely trying to be hateable. Yeah, just trying to be like, exactly. He created a, a whole character and he just stayed, like when, he stayed like when character. Floyd May, when Floyd Mayweather became Money Mayweather. Exactly. You know, he's like, I'm, right. I'm going full heel. Exactly. Right. But even more, like it was more like wrestling because he's got a costume also, like on top of the whole thing. And I actually think that for content creators, it's surprising you don't see more of this. Like, Yeah, that's such a good point. There are these archetypes. Like in wrestling, you have the the, the faces, the good guys. You got the right. heels, the guys that are intentionally bad guys that are going to get right. a, a big following because you'll love to hate them. Floyd Mayweather right. did this in boxing. He was not making any money. And he uh, he became Floyd Money Mayweather, this obnoxious, arrogant, you know, money-in-your-face guy. And then he started getting really, really popular because people wanted to see him lose. And there's, right. a, there's a guy in the UFC that did the same thing. He uh, is basically about to get cut. The UFC told him, you're too boring. We're going to cut you. And so that night he went on and he just started saying all this offensive stuff on the microphone against Brazilians and the, this one fighter and whatever. And they were like, well, now we got to keep him to fight that guy because he just created a feud. And he's like, this guy just took it to the, t- like to the, you know, to level 10 of being this heel. I, I'm surprised there's not more of this on YouTube. You know, and- the best car guy who's doing that right now is this guy, Whistling Diesel. Have you ever seen his I content? love Whistling Diesel. I heard that he's a sweetheart, by the way. There is no car content creator who I like more than Whistling Diesel. I've never met him. T- tell Sean, tell Sean okay, what he does. This dude, it's the it's like Mr. Beast, but like for cars, and he and he just does things that make people hate him. So he buys a Ferrari to destroy it. And he put it, you know, you, you know, you can buy those as an example, you know, you can buy those garage bubbles, like, like boomers have the, you know, they put their old Corvette in them inside their garage. It's like a, it's like an inflatable bubble that makes sure nobody ever touches the car. He bought one of those for his Ferrari and just started throwing stuff at it, ladders and shovels and, and sledgehammers, and stuff, sledgehammers yeah. saw to see if it worked. He would off-road the Ferrari. He put <laughs> giant 20-foot-tall wagon wheels on his Tesla. I mean, all sorts of just dumb stuff. And I just am obsessed with it. I'm like, this is the kind of content I wish I was making. <laughs> how does he? Af- how does this guy afford it? I assume, I assume he's doing the same thing that Mr. Beast is doing, where he's taking basically all of the money that he's pulling in from Reinvest, revenue and yeah. from, you know, placement, ad placements, and just putting it right back into doing more dumb crap. Like he, he dropped the G wagon into a house when he was in the G wagon. I mean, everything. It's just incredible. It's incredible content. It's so cool. There's a, he, what are some of the titles? Uh, using thirty five thousand dollar Nike Air Mags as work boots. So he bought extremely yep. rare, extremely expensive shoes. That's just a great walked video. around in the mud with them doing work. Uh, there's extreme school bus off roading. He takes a bus and he's just like flying around. But it's also number one. So I, I guess that's a series. I guess there's going to be a lot more of those uh, to, to come. Driving a Tesla upside down, parentheses, 10 foot tall wheels. <laughs> okay, I don't even know what that is. That's that's amazing. But each of these has like five to 10 million views. So they're incredible. It's incredible content. And he's just this kid from like Indiana or like rural Pennsylvania who just 
if he wasn't doing this, he'd be like driving a truck, you know, but right. instead he like decided to become hateful on Inst- on YouTube and he's killing it. And I love <laughs> Yo, he's I great. love to see people hate him. There is nothing more fun than, than these, these people. Ah, that guy's so irresponsible. And it's like, yeah, let's get fun. <laughs> it's YouTube. Yeah, you're supposed to be irresponsible. It's supposed to be a little he ridiculous. He took like a, like a $250,000 G-Wagon, and which is like everyone says it's an off-road vehicle, but like no one drives a G-Wagon off-road. And he like, you know, destroys it like to the yeah. point where it's smoking and he just annihilates this G-Wagon. How much revenue do you think that this guy's channel makes? So I want to know oh. if he is if he is putting all of it back into the videos. I want to know how much that budget is. He's getting 20 million views a month. So I suspect he's probably pulling in, you know, yeah, one to two million a month. And then he does ad placements and they must get tons of money because his views get so uh, his videos get so many views. Wait, at 20 million views a month, you think he's making well, let me, upwards let me of rephrase. 2 million? It's in, I don't know. In in his in his world, I don't know. Because his audience is, as I suspect, Younger. very different from mine. My audience doing car reviews is really high dollar content because you're in-market car shoppers. And that is a very desirable demographic for advertisers. Whistle and Diesel is probably, there's probably a lot of kids. There's probably more foreign audience than mine. So probably doesn't make as much, but he's, he's probably doing all right. And plus he lives in the middle of nowhere in like rural Pennsylvania. So his cost of living is like, he's, he's good. <laughs> what would your the Ferraris he's damaging. What would a good CPM be from AdSense for your YouTube video? That's a good question. I don't remember anymore. I actually calculated CPM in this completely different way because I never understood why it was views, like dollars per thousand views. It never really made sense to me. So I started calculating the number of views I had to get to earn a dollar. And so good for me was a video that broke a hundred with the hundred mark. So less than a hundred views to earn a dollar. Um, and there were, there were a lot of videos, especially in December when ad rates were strong that were, that were pulling in that. That's that so funny. Kind of that's rev. how you calculate it. That makes, t- well, actually is, makes a is, lot of sense. Cause so it makes better. more sense to me. Yeah. Like, I feel like everything you've told me so far is like, um, just a guy like sort of using his intuition, like, <laughs> like you're just like, well, like, uh, like I had a friend that was like, I had a friend that would do this. He'd be like, um, you know, it, it like he would keep like his money, like instead of t- like going to a bank, setting a bank account and like, oh, you should invest it. He's like, no, I have three shoeboxes. And like shoebox one is spend money and shoebox two is save money. And he like created his own bank account in my dorm room. And he was just like, yeah, like, you know, but you ha- if you're going to move one to this box, you got to put two in the other box. And he's just like, I'm like, dude, I think you're actually just using the normal like personal finance rules, but you just are. But you, but you backed into them. Yeah, you backed randomly. into them like a guy, like, you know, like a caveman, like just sort of discovering <laughs> fire here. That's it's probably true for me. But I, I will say like in my, in my view, that's kind of how YouTube was it, from like 13 to 19. Before like a lot of big businesses started showing up and really maximizing the hell out of everything, I think it was a lot of people just kind of randomly using intuition to like make decisions. And it was like, okay, that video did well, so I'm going to try this video. Instead of like really thinking through, okay, the thumbnail should say this at this pixel and all that, which is how we, a lot of creators do it now. It was a lot of just like, yeah, let's give this a shot. And for some people, it worked out. And those are the people that you end up talking to. And for some people, it didn't. And those are the ones who fizzled out. Did did you and do you now have a video team? I read somewhere that you were editing up. You're editing them up until Cars and Bids. And then now you just have an editor. But like, is that true? Or do you have like a booker? Because I know you're on the road, or at least you said one annual wrap up. You're like, I traveled like, uh, you know, most weeks. Yeah, well, when I lived in Philly, I was traveling a ton because of the weather. 
But now I'm in California and it's gotten a lot easier. Um, yeah, so it was just me. So I launched the channel in 13. We went to two videos a week in 16. It was just me up until we launched. The Cars royal we. The royal we. You're saying we. Yeah, we. Well, we, I, my fam, I, I think of my wife as part of this because, boy, has that been a journey for her. But um, <laughs> so, so I launched the channel in 13. And there have always been kind of people around, friends who helped shoot things, that kind of thing. So there's a we component to that, too. But mostly it was just me. And then in March of 20, when we all launched Cars and Bids, I realized like that week that I was never going to be able to edit another video again. And so I called a guy who had emailed me like a year before, like, hey, do you need an editor? And I would always kind of ignore those emails. And I was like, are you still available? And can you start today? And his answer was, yeah. And he's still my editor. Uh, it's been now over three years. He just had a baby. And... um but now we have more people also because we're going to start doing more content. And so we hired like a, a video kind of content manager who's going to oversee, I think it's going to be multiple channels, mine, like Carson Bid's channel, and then like new creators come in and stuff. And I just don't have the wherewithal, the bandwidth, especially because I want to continue doing what I'm doing. And I just don't really have the ability to like also manage a whole thing. In addition. Have you guys heard of uh, more plates, more dates? Have you know mm -hmm. who that is? Doug? Uh, no. All right. So his name's Derek. He's probably maybe as famous as you, but in like the fitness genre, he's like on Joe Rogan and stuff, whatever. Yeah. And he has a great video, but his video, A, you don't know his last name. You just know it's Derek at More Plates, More Dates. And B, his videos, it's just him like on a camera, kind of like you are right now, but it's just a plain white background. Like it looks like you're just at like, like he's in like a college dorm or he's just like in his house, just goofing around. But his videos get millions and millions of views. And I heard a rumor that now his businesses are making many, many tens of millions a year in revenue. But the room that he originally started this YouTube video or this YouTube channel, it was just like a, sh like a shitty old apartment when he didn't have a lot of money. And they took the wall out of the apartment <laughs> and he has since moved to a significantly larger, very nice home. But they try to transpose it so it looks exactly like the old one. And that's kind of like what you have to do. So like they don't want people to think like, oh, Derek is like killing right. it now. He's unrelatable. Right. And that's sort of like I imagine you've kind of lucked into this situation where it's like, oh, the, my whole shtick is that like I'm quirky and the videos aren't well edited. Therefore, I can keep getting yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger without like doing anything that sophisticated. There is a component of that. Also that it's worked. So like in a sense, I don't really want to change it that much because as much as that is kind of like the, 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 the shtick, it's like also been successful. Um, but yeah, it's kind of one I, one drawback of this, and I think about Jerry Seinfeld a lot when I think about this. Seinfeld's humor is all based on a normal guy doing stuff. He's no longer, and hasn't been for decades, a normal guy. And I bet it's gotten harder for him to make jokes like, hey, you ever get to the FBO, the private plane, you know, and it's late, and you're like, damn. Like, he can't. So how do you do that? And so for me, I'm like, it's it, it hasn't gotten harder, but I do feel sad that like I'm no longer like your neighbor who's like, Here's how you should think of this car because here's how I think of this car. Now I'm a guy who's got, you know, a career GT or Ford. And it's like, okay, well, maybe he's not quite as, you know, when he talks about supercars being slow, it's like, well, screw this guy, you know, because it's a little bit less relatable. But I still like to think that I'm, you know, Chris, in Chris Rock's most recent comedy special, he says, I, I'm rich, but I identify as poor. And I kind of like feel that way to an extent because like this didn't, I didn't start this way. Like I still, rem I still, wear these stupid clothes because like that's what I wear. It's not like I've like gone I'm not like wearing like high-end stuff and then when the camera turns off, like that's just who I am. 
And so I think to an extent, it's still it's still pretty genuine. By the way, Sean, a, a Carrera GT, it's like a one point something million dollar car. It's like a, the car enthusiasts love it. It's like a, a lot of people stream car. Doug, but you're the type of guy who like uh, I imagine shows up in a million and a half dollar car wearing cargo shorts, <laughs> yeah, uh, oh yeah. a white T-shirt that's dirty and old New Balance. He's got like you got to be the only guy in the country. Th- over three and a half pockets per, uh, per, <laughs> per, per leg. That's exactly right. I drive it every, everywhere I go. I wear my stupid shorts and T-shirt. And like, you can think what you want. I'm driving a career GT. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know if you've seen this, Sean, but on his videos, the true fans, they'll put stuff at the top of video like, Doug's the type of guy who licks his finger before he turns the page on his iPad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he, he's got these, he's People got think these, I'm like, like this geeky, like cautious person, which is probably accurate, to be honest. I just love, at the end of the day, people are like, the quirks and features thing, what a great idea. Like, this wasn't an idea. I really just love, like, seeing how buttons work in cars. Like, that is genuinely, and you know what's funny? Like, I shoot all these videos now for the site. You know, we're selling cars on the site and they're new cars that are have, going to have big audiences. And like, I show up to film and I like still have this feeling in me every single time shooting an Acura NSX right after this. And I still have this feeling like I'm really excited to see the quirks of this car. Like it's still in my mind after all these years. And so I feel like I'm probably doing the right, the right job. Does it, uh, well, how does it feel to be wealthy now? After after grinding after this for so long, it's better than before. It is it is definitely nice. <laughs> Aside from that car, I didn't like splurge on anything. I kind of like live a certain life, and that's sort of how it's going to be. But um, but it is nice to have a little. I think I am a little bit more anxious about money than a lot of people, and it's nice to not have any of that anxiety anymore. And I'll tell you, it came at the perfect time because I just had a boy, and like it's amazing to be able to like detach and just like be with him without having to worry about like grinding for the next video every little dollar you know that i place this thing perfectly in this video um it's a it's like an, an amazing sequence of events do you think um how big is this business gonna get i mean i think i i by the way sean have you seen bring a trailer it's basically like yeah a blog i think it is actually in fact wordpress, it's a blog. WordPress I, yeah by the way the, the whole time we've been in... doing this interview i've also just been shopping cars and bids so i'm like currently like my finger is hovering over this 1994 toyota hi super custom wagon this <laughs> i can just buy this van for five thousand dollars and i'm very very tempted to do this this is a pretty sweet looking van <laughs> i don't know why i want this but i really really want it <laughs> it's awesome the site's awesome i'm looking at uh you have this like three wheeler, a Vanderhall, because I was looking at a, Mor- a Morgan three wheeler. <laughs> should I buy this car this- or do I need to close this tab? It's, it's buy or close the tab. Those are my two options. <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's kind of the fun of it. <laughs> well, you you bring a trailer, which was before you guys. It was basically just a blog. I don't know if you know the show, but the guy who started it, his name was one guy's name is Randy, but the other partner was Gentry Underwood, who started Mailbox. Yeah. That's that company that sold, I think, for a hundred million dollars pre-launch to Dropbox. And I emailed him because he used to have Throttle Yard, which was that for motorcycles. It, it had all the stuff. And I was like, tell me about this business, uh, bring a trailer. And he says, it's the hardest slog. Like it was the hardest thing ever to get going. It took years and years and years. And then I heard a rumor that it sold for many hundreds of millions of dollars. Do you know what it sold for, Doug? I have an idea, but I don't, I'm not going to speculate on Randy's business. <laughs> was it to uh, private equity or who, I, who bought it? Hearst. Hearst. Hearst Media bought like half of it is our understanding. Am um, I off in saying that I that like it's probably I think the valuation worth- was in the hundreds of millions, but I don't I, I don't know exactly how much anybody ended up with or whatever, but um but they did well. Randy killed it. 
<clears throat> they're killing it now. The 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 sale was was um by the car business standards, the sale was relatively early um, in the sense that they sold kind of right before things went crazy in 21. And they've ramped, they and us, I mean, as a function of this market that's been so crazy, have ramped like crazy since then. And so I think the business is worth quite a lot more now, I suspect. What do you um, think is going to happen with you guys? I mean, is, do you think like, are you thinking, you know, this is a, a, a multi-billion dollar opportunity? I don't know. I honestly, I never thought I'd get here. Don't you have to make it that now? If you, if you, I, I think you sold, I don't know what you sold. You sold, it just said majority, majority for 40 million, which I, I, you know, that puts the valuation in the 60 to 80 million range, I imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need like a, I imagine they're looking for like a 500 million plus outcome then. On I this, think we'd, right? I, I think we'd all be happy at 500 million. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, but, and I think that there's a pathway to get there. And frankly, I think Bring a Trailer has shown that. And I think that also the, um, reality of this space is that this is how it's going like the internet made it easier to buy and sell cars obviously it used to be in the newspaper and that was kind of a disaster with low information on both sides and everything and now the internet shows up craigslist shows up that's one thing and now people are starting to realize that there is significant value in these auction sites because sellers can amplify they can get you know to a much larger audience than they could on their own website or an auto trader and buyers can get a larger selection, frankly, than having to visit every single dealer's website and every single whatever, or, or go to physical auctions like Mecham. And those are, you know, what are you going to show up there? You know, like that's not realistic for a lot of people. This is kind of becoming the new wave. So I honestly don't know. I think if you had asked Randy eight years ago, he never would have thought his business would have gotten this big. And, but this is, the market is growing along with these businesses. Another interesting person in your space who I think that you have a feud with, but I don't know why, but when Sean bought his car, I think he D de- he watched your video and then he DM'd this guy named uh car dealer guy. Is that what it's car, called? Yeah, car dealership guy. Car dealership guy. So basically the story behind this is Sean and I have been obsessed with so Sean and I are both popular on Twitter. We've been obsessed with this idea of like, look, there's gonna be a billionaire YouTuber. Mr. Beast at least is getting there. It m- might be around that. Um there, we've seen that happen on Facebook. We've seen billion-dollar companies start on Facebook. We've seen that on Instagram. No one's done it on Twitter, but it will happen. And in particular, we're interested in these, like, there's, like, these guys called, like, the guys. So there's, yep. like, the strip mall guy yep. who talks about investing in strip malls. There's yep. the watch guy who talks about old watches. And we're like, what's going to happen with these, quote, guys? Like, what are they, they going to do? And then there's the anonymous car dealer guy and I think Sean like DM'd him asking like which car should I buy, and he told him to get the Cadillac, and then he watched your review, and then he just wired some guy money and got the Cadillac. What do you think? First of all, I don't know no, no, why I, I don't I know said, what happened. I said with I want to buy guy. this car. I'm looking for this car. Can you find it for me and buy it for me and get it to my house? Oh, right. And I don't want to do any work. And he did. He did exactly that. <laughs> um, okay. Here's here's the. I'll tell you the genesis of the feud, and then I'll I'll tell you what I think of that. Um, the, 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 here's the thing about success on Twitter for, a, for one of those guys. And I love all those guy tweet Twitters. I think they're all really interesting, including car dealership guy. But the problem is in order to be successful on Twitter, and I have a suspicion that this is even more true in the new age of Twitter, you got to be really controversial and you got to be pretty like, I wouldn't say blasphemous, but you got to be like out there with like your takes and your opinions because that amplifies more. And I think Facebook found out years ago that like they can do that, but that doesn't necessarily lead to a great community. And a lot of times there was all this election misinformation or all this fear mongering. And so they like dialed back some of that. 
And it sounds to me like Twitter right now is actually magnifying it. Like it seems every crazy take is at the top with all these engagements and that's what they're trying to maximize for. And the problem that I have with car dealership guy is that like his, if you read his posts, some of them are just like the most insane <laughs> stuff you'll ever read. Like the reason we got into the feud was I, he posted like, Ford has done this crazy thing. They're going to go out of business. It's going to be the worst thing in the world. And I'm like, this is, this is so insane. And I went into the data of what he was talking about and Ford had to do some big write down on some investment this year. And so their profits were low. And he didn't mention that. He only mentioned that the profits were off 80% compared to last year. And it was like, maybe a little bit or more Or he'll context. say like, he'll say like a uh, uh, lease, lease, uh, I forget what it's called when you can't pay your lease, but uh, link, lease delinquency is like at this time, which is the highest it's ever been, which means in four months, something like this. Everything is going to blow up. And, yeah. and I think the problem I have with all of those guy accounts is precisely that. And so I, I, I called him out on this Ford thing and we got into a little a little tiff. And unfortunately for him, everyone who was replying agreed with me once they saw the data. And so he blocked me. <laughs> and so, and then, but, and then I realized though, I'm not the only person he has blocked. He, a lot of my card journalist friends who I suspect have also tried to add context at various times, he has blocked them also. And so what I suspect happens is he's like kind of tried to create a little bit of an echo chamber around himself because that's what makes you popular on Twitter now. If you go into somebody's tweets and you see that they have a lot of like, whoa, that's amazing types of replies, they're going to continue to get magnified and get blown out. And I think that people who have a lot of dissent, it starts to become a little bit cloudier. And But if you see somebody as like a real icon where everybody's agreeing with him, then it continues to make him seem more and more like elevated. And I, so I suspect he's blocking all the people who disagree. And so I, I, in an, in an idea, I like the idea of that Twitter account, but I think in order to be popular on, I don't, I don't even dislike him. I dislike the concept of in order to be popular on Twitter, you kind of have to just keep going controversial and these crazy takes. And that's really the only way to like make it work. And I think that that's less true on the other platforms. Yeah, I, I think that's true. We have a friend named Nick who owns a, a, or part owns an agency that outsources a lot of like uh, assistant, like executive assistant work to the Philippines. <laughs> and he'll do these tweets where he brags about paying his workers $5 an hour and how that empowers them and, and everything like that, which like is or is not true. I, I imagine it is true, but he says it in such a way where he knows people are going to get angry and share it. And at the bottom of the tweet, he'll be like, by the way, uh, if this actually interests you, you could like sign up here. And so he'll like tweet something that gets like, it'll go, it goes viral every time. Like it'll get like, you know, 50,000 likes and like, you know, three or four or 500 quotes of like people saying, this guy is such a douche. Can you believe how tone deaf he is? Whatever. And then he'll like text us. He goes, made 50 grand a day. <laughs> and, like, exactly. <laughs> that's the, that's the problem I have with Twitter, at least right now. I think it's definitely gone to more of a controversy sells kind of thing. You can't just be like a nice dude and do well on Twitter right now. You have to have like takes that are controversial and kind of ridiculous in order to get anywhere. And I'm just, I don't know. It's a shame. I want to ask you one, one last inside baseball question, which was, yeah. um, Sean, you probably don't, this probably doesn't entirely interest you, but maybe I think it would for you, Doug, have you noticed that a lot of car museums are nonprofits? So for example, there's like the Barber Museum in I think Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Where so it's a nonprofit. You can go on and like see their financials and everything. And I have a feeling, and this is like an interesting tax hack, but I don't know if it's true. I have a feeling what they do is they sell a business, sort of like we've all done and what you've recently done, Doug. And they put their money, I think, in some type of like donor advised fund, which is like you can uh, give away a certain amount of money to certified nonprofits and then reduce your tax burden. 
And I have a feeling what they're doing is they're setting up their car museum as a nonprofit. And like the barber guy, I believe he set up the barber museum after he sold, I think like a dairy company for like a billion dollars. He had like a milk and dairy business. I have a feeling what they do is they make a big sale, a big equity sale on their business, and they put a certain amount of proceeds into a donor advised fund, of which they then put into a nonprofit that they own. And that's where they go and buy all their cars and they let people come and see their cars and whatever. I have a feeling that's what's happening. I don't I don't know. I've just been like looking around this. I think that's what's happening. There's another guy who I think you had on his his YouTube channel is like, here's my $20 million car collection. He's a young guy that has like a tire store. And he keeps saying in his YouTube videos, oh, I buy these cars so everyone can enjoy it. And I have a feeling he's doing the same thing as you're, well. You're talking about Hoovy, I think? Hoovy's Garage? I, I can't remember. He's in San Diego and he has a tire store. It's an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea. I think I need a larger exit before I can make that happen. But that is a great place to, to a great way to justify uh, a vehicle collection. Well, I, I think it's not that you donate the money. I think you have to donate the asset or your shares to the DAF first. But if you but if you and, control it and you work in the museum is yours, what do you so, care? So right? I just like asked. Um, I asked Bard, the new Google AI. I said, "Explain how rich people use nonprofit museums to avoid paying taxes." Here's what it says. It says that a, a way that rich people use nonprofit museums to avoid paying taxes is to create a donor advised fund, DAF. A DAF is a charitable giving account. It allows donors to make a one-time or recurring distribution of cash or appreciated assets and re- receive an immediate tax deduction. But, um, so basically, the donor donates art to, like, for example, donor donates art to a museum. They receive an immediate tax deduction for the full appraised value of the art. However, <laughs> the museum does not have to sell the art, and they, it can instead display it as their own collection. They can avoid paying capital gains on the on the appreciation of the art, um, and so I th- I think I've seen this where people basically have like a quote unquote public museum like in their backyard. Uh, <laughs> it's like, and I wonder how who what who dictates what yeah the what is the monitoring price. Uh, the well, price, but also like how how many hours does the museum have to be open to justify yeah, exactly. that? Probably <laughs> forty five no minutes checking on opening. that. Probably, yeah, <laughs> forty five minutes a year. Yeah. <laughs> like like, could you say that like? Because this is Doug's Porsche, it is now worth an additional twenty percent increase. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder, I wonder, like, what the appraised value is. But I had a feeling that's what's happening, which seems like a wonderful hack for car nerds because you can now. Totally. I get. Would that mean that your your purchase price is effectively like thirty seven percent or however, whatever your your taxes, fifty uh, yeah. percent? It's Although, like a discount. I'll tell you, I've been to that barber museum, and it is quite an operation. And so, if that's true. There's probably such a massive spend at the beginning to get if you do I think it, it was it was 50, it 50 million I believe. Uh I went and looked up his all his numbers. I think he seed funded it with 40 or something million and it makes around 50 million a year. Um and Man, that's crazy. Nonprofits you can go and uh look up all the information. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. like I think there's the Peterson Museum in LA. There's a few other ones and you could actually go and look at all the uh you can look at their financials and you could figure out cuz I that was my dream was I was like if I get, you know, a five hundred million dollar exit, I like it would be awesome this is what to I'm have doing. This, <laughs> yeah. this playground. Um, but yeah, I've, I've already done all the math and like looked into all this. That's what we got to do. That's an interesting yeah. thing. Never considered it, but will in the future. <laughs> well, Doug, we appreciate you coming on. I hopefully uh, uh, you realize I'm I'm legitimately a huge fan. So it's yeah, awesome I appreciate that. that. To Thank actually you. talk to you and. Um, Maybe uh, Sean's not a, exactly a car guy, but maybe he will become one now. I hope you now. appreciate that I legitimately have only watched one of your videos, but it did lead me to buy a car. So, you know, good well, job. Enjoy that Escalade. It's going to be great. I will. 
Uh, it's only got a 66 on the Doug score. Now I'm thinking, no, oh, that's good. Maybe, maybe that's I should have. That's pretty got- good. The, the best car ever got like a 73. There's six cars higher than it. And so I'm like, am I the kind of guy who just buys the seventh best car? No, but for, well, for, for, for <laughs> like full-size luxury SUVs, I bet it's at the very... T- it, it is probably my favorite if you're going to go down that route. Um, it's a that's, a that's a bit of a risky car to drive around the Bay Area where everybody else is in electric cars. You're getting like 12 miles per gallon, you know? Oh, yeah, I love it. It's, it's but it, uh, <laughs> I asked him, Doug, I go, so do you have like the self-driving stuff? And he's like, I don't know, do I? And I was like, that's like the whole point of that. That's the whole point. That's the, whole, the point whole point of that Escalade is the that it has like. drive for you. Isn't that in the Bay? That's what you want. The, po- the point of it is that it fits multiple car seats and as huge amount of trunk space that's that's the point actually uh, my world. yeah you didn't even know i'm not trying to self-driving car my kids no it right works well cadillac uh, the system risky. you have in that car is the best system of all of all it's better than tesla's self-driving how is that possible absolutely For sure unquestionable because it tesla's, came from cruise the cadillac system lets you be totally hands-off tesla's system is not even an, i would say in the top four anymore but Cadillac system is especially good. It lets you be fully hands-off as long as you want, provided that you're looking ahead. You can be hands-off and, and you have to be on a mapped road, but that's like every highway. If you're if you're on a mapped road, which like the five, and you're looking ahead, you can just sit there and... Yeah, but like... I won't give you ideas just, about stuff you can do, but you don't have to be driving. No, I know you're the car guy, so let me just... But I am the tech guy, and I just don't understand how Cadillac could possibly have better self-driving because car software. they bought Cruise. They brought your buddy's company, uh, Cruise. You know, remember, yeah, remember them? Of course, of you course. see them in San They they bought Cruise. GM bought Cruise. GM owns Cadillac. But Cruise is not like Cruise was not the top of the top, right? Like that that wasn't. They they are some of. I mean, you'll see cruises in San Francisco now. You can rent a cruise. Bro, taxi you've seen those cruises at itself. the intersection. They don't know what the hell to do at any intersection. Have you seen, have you driven around San Francisco? <laughs> well, you, I wouldn't trust you, it. That's the thing about it. The, 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 the Cadillac Super Cruise system works best on, and mostly only I on see. freeways. I don't even use, because I have a pretty good system. I have a new Mercedes that has a great system too. And I don't use it. Once I get off the freeway, I'm driving myself. And that's true of the Teslas also. They say full self-driving, but we've seen all those, seen those videos where the cars yeah. the people. I wouldn't trust it. Off freeway, we're still in a kind of a wild west situation. You didn't look at the Defender, Sean? You weren't, you weren't, you weren't a Defender guy. Is that a Marvel movie? What do you, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, the <laughs> Defenders? What, what are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah, that's the level we're at here with Sean. I DM'd a guy and told him to buy me a car. That's the level of research I did. <laughs> I picked you a didn't car look at that I heard of from at... rap videos, dude. Like, <laughs> that was my research. <laughs> what about a minivan? Did you consider a minivan at all? Or did I you wanted just... a minivan. My Fuck preference that. was a minivan. My wife vetoed it because she what? was like... Because uh, I'm just like, car, cars stress me out. Nice cars stress me out. So I just wanted something I wouldn't be stressed about that was super functional. I was like, what if we just go the other way? What if we just zag here when everybody's zigging and we we go get like the most functional, most spacious, ugliest minivan that I'm not going to worry about anywhere. I can park it anywhere. And I'm just not going to care what happens to this car. And it's just going to be this like transport closet for me and my kids mess. And that's what I was interested in. But my wife was like, cool, we're not doing that. I recommend minivans to everybody now. Everybody with multiple no, kids. I got man. a buddy who has three kids, and I was just like, you I, need a van. He's like, what SUV can I get? I was like, you need a van. He was like, oh, I can get three car seats in my car. There's, there's, What's a good minivan for me? The, the Sienna is the one you want. That's the one everybody gets right now. That's at the Toyota Sienna. That's the one you All want. Right. Dude, it is those ugly, are so lame. and it is slow, and it is lame, but it is, if you have, if especially three and up children, 
three numbers, three kids or more, you you yeah. just have to. Getting car seats into an SUV, like that, it's just. I just want like the Crocs disaster. version of a car. <laughs> yeah. that, that is exactly that. But Crocs are cool. Yeah, now. I'm betting so, that the, uh, that the minivan will make the make a Crocs like comeback. No, you made the right choice with the Escalade. Although that's like a hundred thirty thousand dollar SUV, which kind of defeats the purpose of not worrying about it. Uh, yeah, again, I got overrode by my, I, I got vetoed by my wife and had to buy a, a good car that I do have to worry about a little bit. <laughs> and what what do you own right now, Doug? I didn't know you owned a, another Mercedes. You have the Defender. I have my, you have... my main normal car. I have a, a E class station wagon. Um, so AMG not, or not no? an AMG? No, just an E four fifty. Plebe. Dude, we had this exit. We had this giant exit. We got all this money, and I went out and bought a used non AMG E class station wagon. That is who I am at heart. Um, no, the real reason I did that is because I love the AMG wagon, but ultimately I now have a Ford GT, a Carrera GT, and then two crazy convertible SUVs. And my view was, I don't need to be getting seven miles per gallon and doing zero to 60 in three seconds in my daily driver. It's just not, it's, I, I'm good. I've got cars that can do all that. And so I just bought a regular one. Also, the regular ones are just as fast now as the AMG ones were only a few years ago. So I'm, I'm, it's, it's fine. It's comfortable. And it's, just, it's so nice. Do you still drive? I mean, I, I I watched one of your things and you're like, I drove this car cross country six times in the last like two years. Why are you driving cross country versus flying? Uh, when the summer we live in Massachusetts. And so I drive all the way across the country every summer and all the way across at the beginning of the fall every single year. I've done this now three times. This will be my fourth. I'm leaving in 30 days from today. And uh, I... We just, it's a whole summer. So you need a car, you need your dog. We have a lot of stuff and it's just the easiest way to get everything there until I, unless I can afford to fly private, which I cannot. This is that. When, um, so by the way, I do the same thing. I, I spend my summers in New York and my wife flies and me and my dog drive. Uh, there you my, go. I've finally, I found another, I found another person who does this. What, when will you be wealthy enough to fly private? You think when are you going to feel Never. comfortable? Do you know there? what it costs? Let me tell you a story. This is probably 30 grand from. LA to okay. SF or LA so, to So this is the thing. I, I we go to Nantucket. So I so that's like the I'm, I'm at like the poles of the country. San Diego is the extreme southwest. Nantucket is basically the extreme northeast. So um, I I generally fly first class now. That is a, one of the splurges that I do. And so a, a first class ticket across the country is a thousand bucks or whatever. And I'm like thousand bucks. This is great. And I thought to myself, if I'm flying first class for a thousand bucks, I bet I can fly private for like you know three four thousand. I bet that's what it costs. This was me of 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 uh, naive Doug thinking, hey, it's probably only a few grand more. You know what? How much more could it be? And the answer is, I looked it up, $55,000 direct from San Diego to Nantucket. And so the answer to your question, when will I be able to fly private? Never. <laughs> My dog and I will always pile into the car and end up refueling at these sketchy gas stations in New Mexico and Oklahoma. That will be our lives <laughs> for years <laughs> How often are, are people uh, recognizing you on these road trips at gas stations? All the time, um, I imagine. No, it's rare on the trips. Um, and I'm and I'm like I'm like obsessive about getting there quickly. Like I just go. I don't ever stop and like look at people or chat. But in life, like yeah, all the time, obviously. And it's it's always nice. It's always good interactions with people. Well, dude, this is awesome. We appreciate it. You, you want to shout anything out where people should find you or where to reach you or whatever? Cars and bids. No, we've talked about it. every people can people will figure it out. Well, dude, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll pimp out your Twitter, the YouTube channel, Cars and Bids, and uh, you're the best, man. I, I've been a fan for years. It's it's awesome to finally talk. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. 
and congrats on the all the success. Um, even though you've been at it for, you know, Doug, decade, I've never it, seen it, Sam like this. He is just fawning. He can't oh. stop. He's just like, listen, man. If you want to carpool cross country sometime, I, I, I'd love. Our dogs can sit in the back. We can sit in the front. It'll be amazing. <laughs> yeah, you need a friend. I got a friend. I'll be your friend if you need one. Glad to have you on the pod. Glad that we're friends now, right? Would that be fair to say? Would that yeah, be a reach? Uh, totally, or would that totally. be okay? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, I'm, I'm legitimately. I'm thrilled to find someone else who does this drive and we'll, we should be in contact about that at the very least i have become like a student oh, of contact, this drive. Eh? yeah yeah we can start there <laughs> i'm happy to start there we could do that the funniest thing by the way doug we just did a live show in austin and like sam is sam is like the opposite of this when someone's a big fan of sam they know everything about him they've been a fan for years been following him they've they kind of fawn over him Huge turn off to Sam, but when, when it's somebody that he, he does the exact same thing to other people, this is hilarious to me. You know, I had this, I had this happen to me to, I, I met Jerry Seinfeld like a year ago and Jerry tells me that he watches all my videos and over the, at this point, I've had people coming up to me on the street for years. Like I've had some of the interactions go great. Some of them don't. And I know exactly what to say, what, to, what I'm expecting someone to say to have it go great, you know? And I meet Jerry and he's like, I watch all your videos. And I'm like, uh, 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 hey, uh, do you like Porsches? <laughs> like, I got no idea. Like, I was like, I can't believe I've screwed this up after having so much. <laughs> well, and by the way, I know we keep like, we tried wrapping this up and then we kept going. So, like, I just want to acknowledge that because I actually do kind of want to hear about this. Jay Leno, I don't know if you know about this, Sean, but Jay Leno's Massive like car guy. A, yeah, a car I know guy. that part. Doesn't he have like four or five airplane hangers? Is that what was that like? Oh, it's inc- I've been there now three or four times. It is incredible. Um, yeah, he's got like four. I, one of them might be an airplane hangar, but it's mostly just like buildings. It's like in an office park. It's next to an airport, but they're but they're not. Um, but anyway, they're giant buildings. Yeah, I would say maybe six of them. One is just like a machine shop. It's incredible. I mean, his collection is truly unbelievable. One of the what coolest things worth? you'll ever see. Oh, yeah. Hundreds of millions. Um, you think so? Well, he's got a McLaren F1. That in itself is probably worth 40. Um, maybe 50 at this point. What, a McLaren F1 is worth 40 or 50 million now? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, and his, he's, it's like, his is like a one-owner car. He's had it 25 years. He told me he paid 800 for it. Or six, 700. That's insane um, to me. Yeah. That, that is, yeah. That, that, isn't Good that like the car Elon had that he crashed? Have you seen a, Sean, do you know what WeatherTech is? It's like, uh, it's like you buy a car and you like get like the mats, which is like one of those businesses like Yeti where you're like, there's no way a cooler company is going to be big. And it turns out this thing's just massive. And the reason you know it's massive is I think it's privately owned, but they sponsor all this stuff, which you have to have a big budget for. But the owner bought a Ferrari 250, what's yep. it called? A, G- a GTO yep. for $80 million, which is like, I think the most expensive car sale ever. Yep. And that's yep. how you know this company is killing it, that the owner of the privately held company has enough cash <laughs> to spend on an $80 million car that's just yep. going to sit, you know, it, it's it's ridiculous. Yep. I mean, it, it, it's like a crazy thing. And so Jay has one that's worth 40 or 50. That's got to be in the top 10 of like most valuable cars. Oh, in the yeah, world. yeah, for sure. And by far the most valuable like modern car. And um, he told me the most unbelievable story about this car that he bought it. He paid 600 and he told me he's driving through L.A. There's only 64 of them. He's driving through LA and um, he sees what another year one. was he driving it? This was when, it was when he had bought it. And he's driving through LA and he sees another one. So this is 97, 98. He sees another one just street parked in front of a house. And he's like, what? 
And so he goes up and rings the doorbell and meets the guy. And they, he, he says hi to the guy. They, they exchange info. You know, we both got McLaren F1s in LA. And he told me that the guy calls him a year later and says, Jay, you'll never believe it. I sold mine. And I made, I got $800,000. I made 200 grand. <laughs> and Jay's like, I think I'm going to hang on to mine a little longer. And now it's worth 40. And that's a lesson. in <laughs> <laughs> who, who, Who's going to buy a $40 million car? I mean, how many people in the world do you think would do that? Are there only like and, a you thousand know, people? I reviewed Jay's and, and I asked him, and I had to cut this out of the video because it was quite an interesting segment. But like, I asked him, I was like, what do you think of the other owners of this car? And he thought for a long time and gave a very measured response. And I thought to myself, like, what, reading between the lines, what he was trying to say is there are a bunch of jerks who have money. They're not car enthusiasts. Like if that car has become the type of thing you buy if you just want like a trophy rather than if you actually care about cars. Whereas when it was 600, 800 grand, there were enough car people who could afford it that maybe they'd get into the mechanics and do the work themselves, which Jay values very heavily. But now it's just a bunch of rich guys who want to brag. And, and that's why think, he doesn't uh, own Ferrari, because in order to buy the fancy Ferrari, you have to buy an entry level Ferrari and you get on a wait list and they like release them like a, like a Rolex almost. And he's like, no, nah, fuck that. Even though I'm a rich guy, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of the people. <laughs> I'm not getting on a wait list to buy a, a million dollar car. There's got to be 75 cars in that, maybe 100 cars in that collection and not one Ferrari. That's insane. How many people can afford a $40 million F1 or a McLaren? Nobody. And the ones who can, servicing it is a nightmare. It's done on some like MS-DOS-based. I mean, the whole thing is like a total mess. It's, but it's the coolest thing in the world, you know? And if you're a rich guy and you have all the rich guy cars, like the Carrera GT and the F40, you're not a really rich guy unless you've got a McLaren F1. Then you, then you don't even need the other cars. You're just like, yeah, I win. <laughs> where where do you over. keep your... How much is your monthly insurance for a million-dollar Porsche? Not as much as you think. I think it's only... A thousand a month to insure that car. Um, but do you even drive it? Do you drive it on a day, uh, like on a Friday night or once nah, a month? I take it to Cars and Coffee once a week, basically. But other than that, my like my wife still hasn't even ridden in it. Like it's just it's not something I'm. I, I I've driven it a thousand miles since I bought it four months ago, which is actually pretty good. But like it's a terrifying thing to drive a car that's worth a million dollars. Like anybody could hit you, and then it's like, okay, well, this is not going to be good for anybody. Like that person's bankrupt now. <laughs> Because their insurance limit is way below this. And my insurer is going to sue them. And like the whole thing is just, it's just a scary. Die. I love driving it. I truly and believe it's it, the greatest driving car ever made. you own that car? <laughs> Sounds like it might be not so fun to own that car. No, no. I, I, when, when I take it out, which is very rare, but when I take it out on early mornings before people are up, when it's still cool and I can take it into the mountains and like really enjoy it, which I've done now three or four times, then it is so rewarding and so incredible. And I truly, truly believe that it is, and I've driven them all, the greatest driving car I, that has ever been made. And so like to that extent, it's worth it for sure. Okay. And that's insane. This is actually well, the end of the podcast now. <laughs> all right. That's it. Sam, Sam, you, he's not, not going to be your bestie. He's not going to be your best friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give it time, bro. Give it time. It takes time. We'll build a relationship. I've already got this planned out. It's going to happen to be in your town next week. Oh, hey, yeah. I'm just in town. Just I was hoping we could hang. I flew out here for this. <laughs> oh, you're not in LA. You're in San Diego. I'll That's be weird. I'm going to be there tomorrow too. <laughs> uh, thanks, Doug. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. 
Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like